Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, and today with us is Kirk Anthony Hamilton. Uh, he's a co-founder of Tech Beach Retreat. Uh, what we wanted to talk about today was uh, about really going out there and building influence and thought leadership around an entire region. But before we get into any of that, uh, Kirk, do you want to take a moment to kind of introduce yourself and kind of lead us through what kind of led you to your journey up to this point? Yes, for sure. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all, Leonard, and um, sure. I- I'm excited to share. So I am uh, from Kingston, Jamaica, and um, you know my background is that I was uh, growing up very passionate about architecture. Um, so that's what I pursued when I went to, to college. Um, but subsequent to getting my master's degree in architecture and doing all of these things under the, under the watch of my parents, I've set out on a, a very different journey, um, which really has been one around connecting the, the business ecosystems of the Caribbean with the rest of the world to drive mutual benefits for, you know, for our region, quite frankly, but also for, for, the, for the globe to be able to leverage or, or benefit from what the Caribbean has to offer and vice versa. And so our, our major focus is attracting greater levels of investment and innovation um, and quite frankly, understanding from the outside world into the, into the Caribbean. Nice. So I know that you brought some influence to the Caribbean via tech leaders like Jack Dorsey, who co-founded Twitter and Square, and also Annie Jean-Baptiste of Google, and she's had a lot of impact on the way the region's perceived. Uh, What have you learned about tapping into the influence of these kinds of thought leaders, and how do you do it effectively? So I, I think what I've learned is that, you know, as we ascend in life, our objectives start to shift. And you really have to be able to appeal to what people ultimately are, are looking for, right? And, you know, it, it, it sounds cliche, um, you know, but for many, as you grow, it becomes less about money and transactions as it becomes a focus on impact, right? And, and, and scaling that impact. So, how many people am I able to benefit from the work that I'm doing, right? And I think engaging people at the level that we, that we focus on is, is all about that in terms of reaching out and appealing to their best interest. You know, it, it, it doesn't hurt to have a vision that is centered around transformation and a vision that is centered around transformation at a, at a certain scale that starts to, to make sense. You know, my, my presence could actually impact thousands or hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, um, you know, in, in this space because typically they don't hear from someone like me or they don't get to engage with an individual like me 
on their own turf. Uh, and, and that's a big part of how we have gone about um, interacting with these individuals that we've managed to, to get to participate in our various convenings, right? Um, but it's, it's really centered on selling them on an opportunity that goes well beyond the, the monetary gain that might be available because they can see that for themselves. Once you're seasoned in business, you start to get that understanding um, on your own and you see the opportunity for what it is. But what, what they more so buy into is the chance to really drive a benefit to, to others and therefore derive a greater benefit to themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, one of the things that I was thinking about was over in America, you used to live here for a while. What kind of made you decide to go back to the Caribbean to really go and start this over there? So I'm a son of the Caribbean. Uh, I've, I've always been. When I was about 12 years old, my family actually moved to Barbados, which is weird for any Caribbean family. Typically, we moved to North America, the U.S. or Canada, or the U.K. That's a, that's a very typical migration pattern for Caribbean people. But my family moved from Jamaica to Barbados. And then I actively played tennis in Barbados competitively and got the opportunity to travel around the region playing in these international tournaments and such like that. And it really opened up my eyes to where the region was and also started to cast this vision of where it could be. So despite the opportunity to live and work in the States, which I've taken advantage of in, in certain instances, um, I've always been driven to come home and, and do something, right? And beyond that, you know, if I'm being honest, there is a... I visit the States very frequently. I spend a lot of time in Miami, New York, and San Francisco. And so... You know, visiting the States allows me to take advantage of certain amenities and conveniences that America has to offer. But there's a lifestyle available to me in, in the Caribbean that just can't be beat. You know, um, currently I'm in Barbados, just left Jamaica, um, and, and I'm happy to be home. I enjoy being home. Um, but also, I just wanted to come back to really be able to do something that would ultimately benefit the, the, the place that I'm from. So, you know, it wasn't, I don't think I ever left in fairness when I went to college and also took a job in, in Newport Beach some years ago. I never left with this thinking that, you know, I'm trying to find home elsewhere and I'll never return. I always had this, this vision, even though I didn't know how it would um, unfold, that I would come back to the Caribbean and, and do something um, of meaning. And, and what I will share as an additive, where, where the value came in terms of me living overseas was that I went to college at the Savannah College of Art and Design. I did a master's of architecture there. Um, I still think I use my skill set on a day-to-day -day basis, basis in terms of what I, what I did there. We did a lot of critiques. That has benefited me a lot. And, you know, just connecting dots in terms of how design works and such like that really comes into play in my daily life. But I think the most important takeaway for me going to college and why it was important going to college in the U.S. was that going to a very design-oriented school where there were really no limits, you know, we weren't a very technical um, curriculum. So the focus was on how many boundaries can you break in, in, um, in, in your design. 
And I had to learn to adapt to that because Caribbean education is a bit more rigid than you might find in, in, in North America. So as I adapted to that, I started to learn how to see the world as it could be as opposed to as it is, right? And I struggled with that for a bit. I struggled with understanding the projects that some of my more free-spirited um, classmates may have been working on and such like that. But as I started to understand it a bit better, I, I realized that they simply weren't bounded by the limitations that, you know, you might tend to see um, growing up in the Caribbean. For them, they're able to see well into the future and think about things way beyond, um, like I said earlier, the, the limitations of the world as opposed to, you know, this is what I want to happen. So I am casting that vision into the world. And I, I learned a lot and gained a lot from that. Interesting. So uh, it sounds like a lot of what really happened was kind of uh, in your college years when you were really going out there and learning things. But you also mentioned that when you were playing tennis and traveling all across the world, it kind of opened up your eyes to how things could be. So while you were playing tennis, uh, were you just looking and observing how these different areas were? And when you were kind of examining it, realizing what could happen in the Caribbean? For sure. Um, I think, you know, while I may not have been able to articulate what impact it would have had on my life back then, what was happening, especially with my interest in architecture, when I was 14, 15, 16, traveling all over um, playing tennis, is that I would be observing what was happening in one place that wasn't happening in the other and thinking, well, why can't this work here, right? Or why can't this thing that's happening in, in, in Barbados, why can't it happen in Jamaica and vice versa? Or beyond the boundaries of the Caribbean, why is something happening in the U.S. that, that just isn't happening in the Caribbean for whatever reason? And so I was, I was keenly observing these things, although I, I may not, as I said earlier, have been able to share that with you when I was 14 or 15, but yeah. then just realizing, you know, the space and the need for putting these things together and, and, and ultimately making great, um, unfolding great opportunities in my market. Uh, so that, that definitely had a heavy impact on me. Interesting. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And it seems that like what really happened is your childhood vision of what you saw kind of became the manifestation of the reality that you have now. And it seems that what you've been doing now is really connected to those early childhood days where you were like, okay, there's all these problems I see. These are how things are working elsewhere. This is something that I wanted to kind of really bring back home to my community so I could go and improve it. Does that kind of sound accurate? Without doubt. And the only thing I would add to that is one of my biggest focuses when I thought about these things was our people, right? My ultimate vision um, is really to be able to have Caribbean people um, thrive in the world at a, at a meaningful level. So that was one of the big things that I think I was observing when I was younger was just, you know, how do you bring opportunity to more people and also how do you create a landscape where people are able to pursue their vision um, freely you know and, and that was that, that's a challenge in the Caribbean 
I don't want to say it doesn't happen, but it is challenging. And so I saw a value in kind of creating that space and that safe haven for people to be able to pursue, uh, you know, pursue opportunity in, in that free-minded way. So I can definitely see that vision, like, at the very beginning where you're like, okay, I have a lot of people to really go and help out in the community. We want to turn into a leader. We want to make all these things really happen. But in the early days, that's got to be extremely tough to really get your thought leadership and all the things out there to really go and convince people, like, hey, this is something that's going to happen. Come on board. And I'm sure at the very beginning, you weren't working with people like Jack Dorsey or Annie John Baptiste or any of these kind of big people. And it was just kind of like a dream, right? Without doubt. I mean, I'll have to say I've had some, on one end, incredible luck. And then on the other end, you know, what we've, what we've built over the last few years, you know, I've never done anything harder in my life, right? And especially getting started, uh, to your point, it was extremely challenging. It, it's very difficult to convince people that there is a future that looks very different than the one, than what they're observing in the present, right? It, it's very difficult to convince people that there is a, um, there is an opportunity behind the surface of what they, what they read and hear about um, and, and have never really taken the time to explore any deeper. So we had challenges on, on both ends, quite frankly. We had challenges with convincing, you know, people from the outside of the Caribbean of the value proposition of the region. And we also had big challenges convincing Caribbean people that the, that the vision that we had was actually possible. Uh, so it took a lot of, um, took a significant amount of effort to build, you know, our brands, Tech Beach Retreat, the Destination Experience, Visionary Summit, and such, to the, the levels that they are currently operating at. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy that you're over uh, with over 200 accelerating startups now, and I wanted to touch more about that, but it's about time for a commercial break. Uh, where would people be able to find you online, Kirk Anthony? Our website for what you just mentioned in terms of that program is techbeach.net, and it's spelled exactly as it sounds, so techbeach.net. Perfect, and you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. 
Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, back with Kirk Anthony Hamilton. And we've been talking about the Tech Beach Retreat and the early days and the early vision of going out there and seeing how the world was like outside of the Caribbean and seeing what could, do, what could be done to kind of go back and improve that current area. And how that kind of manifested from, I guess, the teenage years when uh, Kirk was just playing tennis and then having that uh, migrate into when he was doing his architecture school and then having that manifest into the real world through a lot of hard work and dedication to going and partnering with a lot of uh, successful people. And I know if a lot of people are thinking, I have a vision similar to this and I want to go and do something, that Tech Beach over the Tech Beach retreat over in. Uh, the Caribbean uh, is a great way to go and do it because there's a lot of things that you're doing with that currently, right? Uh, what are you currently doing with this Tech Beach Retreat? So we we have a pretty broad footprint. Uh, you know, the pandemic obviously has its effects, but before the pandemic hit, all footprint covered uh, Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Cayman, and Bermuda. And we were about to enter into 2021 with the Bahamas and Martinique. In addition to that, where our success has come from in terms of connecting with some of the folks that are being mentioned is that we built a footprint also in North America, cities like New York, uh, San Francisco, Toronto, partnering with you know, the, some of the big tech brands like Dropbox and Facebook, Google, uh, and such like that. So, so we've built a pretty big footprint in, in that regard to achieve our goals. The program that we're currently launching in partnership with the Inter-American Development Bank is focused initially on Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, Barbados, and the Bahamas. So four islands wherein we'll be accelerating 30 companies per year per island for a total of 120 companies per year, uh, 240 companies over two years. 
Nice. So I know a lot of the things that you've kind of been doing are really like tied into like in-person events. And over in America, at least, a lot of these events have kind of been like shut down just because of this pandemic. We don't have group outings where you can meet with a lot of people. Um, how is the Tech Beach community really being engaged during the pandemic? And uh I know in America we can't really hold those physical events. Are are you doing physical events uh, where you're at right now, or have you turned things virtual? What, what's kind of happened with all of that? So to be honest with you, we've not gone down the road of you know virtual events uh, for for a good reason. Uh, we just felt like you know based on the pandemic, the response uh, became kind of playbook somewhat cookie cutter in terms of everyone just decides that they're going online and they're, they're now going to try to, you know, create this experience online. Personally, I think it's, it's very difficult, but notwithstanding, you know, there are organizations out there that are, that are working to manage in that regard. Uh, the tech beach community actually remains very engaged through various mediums. So there is naturally social media and our newsletter and some other components, but what really, built our community, funny enough, is WhatsApp. And so our, our community is very active uh, on WhatsApp. People still, you know, put out their, their challenges or opportunities that they're pursuing uh, to, to identify, you know, valuable responses from others in the community. Uh, so we see a lot of activity in that area, uh, perhaps unusual to many other communities, but the reality of tech beach as well and where our success has come from is that we have a relatively unique convening methodology. So we're not massive, you know, we're not a 10,000 person or even a thousand person convening on an, on an event basis. And so there's a culture that we've developed that's very unique. It's no hierarchy, you know, no real barriers to access. When you come into the community, we set a very level playing field in terms of, you know, there is no VIP. There is no body who is separated from everyone else because of where they are at in life. You know, once you're, once you're in the room, that's your credibility. So that culture has endured, I, I would say, through to where we are now and, and the activity that we're seeing through spaces like WhatsApp and other social channels that our community participates in. And this, this idea that we sold to everyone, which is you're here to help. You're here to collaborate. You know, there are no walls in that regard. So there is free ability of everyone in the community to reach out and connect and work to make things happen. Nice. And, and so, that's how we've been, you know, managing in the pandemic. That's kind of awesome that you were able to really go out there and build a WhatsApp community where you have everyone involved. That uh, brings me to another question. So I know you built a pretty strong community, and you've also brought, like, uh, large leaders like uh, Jack Dorsey and so forth into the organization to go and uh, contribute. Like, what, what came first, building a part of the organization or reaching out to the tech leaders? What, what did we do first, you said? Yeah. So, Tech Beach is actually somewhat of a spin-off of a, a different platform that I had formed in the Caribbean. So, when we were starting Tech Beach, 
notwithstanding the challenges, because tech wasn't a conversation in the region, we had a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of a head start in the way of understanding the methodology in terms of convening and structuring uh, for the events and such like that. I mean, we've still learned a lot along the way, but we, we did have a bit of a head start in that regard. So what I would say is we, we, we had some sense of process. And so the big uh, focus then was really um, outreach, right? Getting to the people. But if I was recommending to anyone just based on my history and, and what I know now, I would say outreach in terms of division takes place first, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, before you end up having an event or even structuring an event, I think that is more, most critical. What you, what you probably need to put in place, though, is ensuring that you have materials that you can show people that makes it more than just an email or a conversation before you start that dialogue. But in terms of the exact look and feel of, of your event and how it's going to be structured and agendas and all this kind of thing, you know, you need a purpose. And then I think you can get almost directly into starting to share the vision with people to try and attract, you know, support and involvement uh, of, of the individuals that you want to ultimately participate. So basically what it is is first getting the location down, putting a plan behind it, kind of outlining it, and then going out to the tech leaders and showing them that. Then once you have the tech leaders involved, then you go back to the general public. And that's how you start to build your communities. Yes. And I think it goes the same for anything with entrepreneurship, right? I believe entrepreneurship really narrows down to product and process. And if people can really see that you have these things in place, then it drives confidence. And it's not that everyone will say yes, but everyone is able to then look past the idea that, you know, you, you are a novice or you are missing certain elements that would, that would have meaning to them. And it just starts to come down to, well, can I be involved or not? And does this message align with me? But you get to then escape the, some levels of, of uh, skepticism in terms of your ability. Whether it can work or not is still a big question for people, I think. But you, you remove the doubt around these people have the ability to execute, even if the room were to look empty at the end of the day, you know, do they have the, the ability to put the different uh, pieces together? So I think you put that structure in, in place, like I said, and, and you create the image of what you're working to achieve. But then before you get into all the, you know, all the granular effects of, of putting it uh, put on an event, you then start reaching out to folks to ask them to be involved and share the vision wherein you have these pieces that really help to sell the concept. So that makes a lot of sense. However, right now during this uh, pandemic and everything, um, it, it gives it a lot of limitation to someone who might be in a similar situation looking to uh, grow or kind of put off an event or to do something similar to go and engage with their community. Uh, do you have any advice for, for sure. our audience members going through something similar? Yes. So, uh, you know, to be fair, I think if you have a very clear purpose when it comes to doing virtual, it can work. And, you know, sharing with people, I, I think what works in virtual as well to get started, because, you know, 
notwithstanding, you're unlikely to launch something that just starts with thousands of people anyway. So you, you, you have to think about it, uh, even if there's an exponential vision, you have to think about it somewhat incrementally as you, as you execute. What I think works in the virtual space is small convenings. So if you, you know, bring together a small group of individuals around a subject that is important to them, they will then find value and there's an actual dialogue that can happen. You know, I think people uh, to an extent now are getting somewhat fatigued when it comes to virtual convenings and, you know, sitting down in front of their computers. It's not necessarily television, right? So it's, it, it doesn't have the same effect on people in terms of being able to sit and absorb content for hours and hours, days on days end. But if you create something that's truly interactive and aligns with, with individuals, either purpose or their objectives, then you can see participation. You don't need large-scale participation to be successful if you, if you think about it in a boutique manner. And then it really is just, what is the conversation focused on? And if you can unpack something pretty meaty in that conversation, you'll end up with, with fans, right? And, and in fairness, if I think back to how we did the first Tech Beach, for example, while we're not big in audience at the end of the day, even now, the first Tech Beach was about 100 people. The large majority came from overseas, but we just had them all at a hotel. So it wasn't this big gathering of individuals. And the... What made it successful was that the conversation was meaty, right? There was a lot of value to the dialogue, and it was a dialogue that a lot of these people had never seen. So even for those who came from the outside, the value that they found if they were coming from New York or Silicon Valley is that they just felt like egos were extremely suppressed inside the room, probably because of our setting, being in Jamaica, being by the beach, and all of these different things. But they found a lot of value in the fact that, you know, I feel like I can actually connect with someone and it's more about, you know, passion as opposed to position. I'm not talking to someone on the basis of who they are. I'm talking to them based on what they want to do and what they're trying to achieve. And they just found, you know, there was an affinity towards what the dialogue in the room was and what people were about and the fact that everybody kind of let their guard down. And I think that can be recreated virtually if someone is just trying to get started and pull a group of people uh, together. You know, the most important factor is probably finding someone who people really want to hear from, in fairness, uh, so that, you know, you have a point of attraction and then asking that person to dive in deep and, and release the guard and, and, and introduce people to a side of them that you probably typically don't meet and, and, in that regard, you can definitely find significant success. I can definitely see that working, especially if one of the uh, big tech leaders or whatever type of leaders were able to go and hop in and kind of share more of their insights and kind of go into a deep level. But at times, um, a lot of people aren't really too willing to kind of make that commitment and make those moves. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned a lot is to get people to really go out there and interact. And I know a lot of people might think, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, then people are probably going to interact. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Do you have any methods that really kind of tie down exactly how to get people to really go and interact with something? So, you know, here's the thing. There's no doubt that you're dealing with different personalities once you convene and 
some people just aren't about it, right? Some people are not the most social, they're not the most interactive individuals and, and such like that. I think, and again, it may be a little bit more challenging virtually, but also there may be a benefit to virtual in this regard because a lot of times those folks have insecurities that they don't necessarily articulate. And being behind a screen can sometimes free people of uh, those insecurities. But also, again, I think that's where the small audience approach really gets things going. Because the reality is if I agree to participate in a room and I enter it and there are 12 people, you know, it's enough to make it a thing for a conversation, but it's not so big that I then become intimidated. And it's not so big that everyone is not able to kind of put forth their, their best self in the sense of introducing themselves and being able to talk about themselves a little bit and actually having time as opposed to having to, to rush through that uh, part of the engagement, right? And then, you know, people are really invited to, uh, to respond or to, to be involved. I think you can awaken something in them in that, the walls don't necessarily have to be there anymore because the intimidation factor is heavily reduced. Now, don't get me wrong. There are personalities out there that simply won't participate. And, and so one of the things that we've learned as well is we cast a pretty wide net. Uh, so, you know, I spoke about our footprint earlier, but the reality of the matter is our success is built on a significant level of outreach. And so if you're trying to do this, you're likely going to speak to a significantly higher number of people than those who end up in your room. And that's fine. That's entrepreneurship, right? You'll try and fail. Some people won't be a good fit. You know, there's some people who say yes to come into Jamaica, but we realize that culturally they're not a good fit for what we're trying to achieve. And we end up saying that to them, you know, like we, we don't think you're going to find the value that you are looking for. And we don't think the community is going to benefit in a certain way from, from your participation because they may, they may look to us and, and kind of sit on a pedestal and kind of have it that, well, I'm coming down for a vacation and I, and I'm going to help out some people while I'm there. And we really sell more so opportunities. So when I talk about the meat of the matter, you know, with Pet Beach, we're very clear. Despite the fact that, you know, there are certain lacks in the Caribbean that we're trying to fill, our focus is on the fact that there's opportunity here and it's unmet opportunity and potential. So we try to find people who are looking to buy into that unmet potential and help to unlock it. Uh, so I, I would say anyone looking to do something in, in this space, you know, you find your place and then you go out and you look to identify people who align with that in some way. And, you know, you have to talk to a lot more people than, than who you want, ultimately. So if, if you want 12 people to show up, if you don't have an existing network, you know, be prepared to talk to 100 people, possibly. And that doesn't mean individual conversations. It just means your outreach is likely going to be much higher than who ends up in the room. And then that way you, you bypass some of the personalities that may not contribute because, they simply may not be, they, they may simply not be swayed that way. That's not how they operate. They don't interact in a, in a certain manner. And you, you leave that alone because that's their thing. And you focus on the people who better align with what you're doing. 
right? And over time, just to add to this, sorry, but over time what you'll find is that there are those who look from the outside and as the community grows, they, they see the value and they start to adapt to it a bit. So even though they may be a fairly shy personality, and, and you have to accept that, right? There are shy personalities which does not dispute your credibility or what you're trying to talk about. If someone is shy, they're just shy. But over time, they may start to open up a bit as they see the value that you're creating and how it can actually help them and benefit them. Interesting. Thank you for all that great advice. I think that's extremely helpful for any of the listeners that were uh, able to tune in and really capture that information, especially in regards to interaction, realizing that all the people who are going to show up aren't going to always be of value, so to really narrow that all down and to really uh, provide benefit in the way the speaker goes and uh, goes and communicates and really setting up different ways to interact. And some of the advice of having maybe smaller groups could be even better, especially in the tech uh, in the virtual world that we're in uh, today for most of the United States, at least. Uh, we're about to hop off to another commercial break. Uh, where can people find you again, Kirk Anthony? So we can be found at techbeach.net as our website and at techbeachretreat on any uh, social platform. So you can just search us on Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, and you'll find us in, in that as well. Okay, perfect. And you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influence channel are you ready to move to your next level listen for empowering women transforming lives with host rebecca hall greider each show will focus on a central topic with discussion guests and your questions being featured our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement inspiration and practical steps to support them on their journey Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And join us for a replay of the show on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Everyone, welcome back to Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim and Kirk Anthony Hamilton. Uh, we've been talking a lot about how to really go out there and get engagement and interaction with events and how to turn them to be successful. Um, I have a question for you, uh, Kirk. Uh, in regards to uh, your own thought leadership, has it served you in fostering the engaged community? Would you say your thought leadership had anything to really do with it? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think more than anything, you know, and I have different partners and different platforms that we've built, but, you know, what we are ultimately trying to build is, is based on visions that we have for ourselves as entrepreneurs and in some cases now investors and such like that. And so, you know, casting that vision wherein you have a certain level of understanding of the different dynamics that have impacted your, your growth and, uh, you know, in some, pla- in some cases maybe impeded growth, et cetera, really allows you to, to formulate and share ideas that then people are interested in. So by all means, the, the work that we've done has definitely impacted our, you know, my thought leadership and, and vice versa. Uh, you know, my, my thought leadership has certainly had an impact on the, on the, the things that we pursue. So I know that you recently uh, launched an accelerator program, and that's in partnership with DMZ and IDB Lab. Um, how do you anticipate this will impact the growth of the region? You said you were going to probably have 120 different startups every year to go up to about 240. What do you think that's going to be able to do to uh, the Caribbean and the people within it? So, so our hope is naturally that this is a game changer for the region. You know, the reality of the Caribbean is, while I love it and I'm passionate about it, when it comes to tech and the digital world, there is a, a lot missing. And there is a lot that needs renewal in the sense of, you know, I think we have a foundation in this region that is actually very beneficial to, to people who operate in the digital realm, but it needs to be reinvented or, or realigned with what is, what is happening in the world. And so we think this is a transformative opportunity because the reality of the Caribbean is unlike, let's say, you know, every, everyone tries to create the next Silicon Valley, but unlike places like Silicon Valley where you have success stories to leverage, you have a certain level of inspiration to, to bite into, you know, the, the Caribbean doesn't have many, if any, real successes in tech. So there's not anyone delivering a blueprint to other people to say, well, this is how you do it. And this is how you grow your organization and ultimately scale. So we think, you know, bringing that knowledge to the table is, is what has made Tech Beach successful so far and is what we believe will make the accelerator program successful. But beyond the knowledge that we're bringing, we're also bringing you know, resources in partnership with the DMZ that 
the people in, in our region typically just don't have access to. So if you join an accelerator, especially some of the better ones in, in markets like New York, let's say, you know, you may find that HubSpot is offering free, you know, free credits or a big discount to use some of their tools, right? Or you may find the same thing happening with an organization like Shopify or even Google and Facebook and, and these companies. There's nothing like this in the Caribbean. So not only is there a deficit when it comes to raising capital and, and these kind of things, but if you are a tech company, you know, you, you also miss out on the, the possibility of these kind of free perks that to an extent can replace investment as you work to, to build your product, you know, especially if you're managing to bootstrap, et cetera, but you just want to reduce costs so that you can then showcase the best product possible and build on some of these foundational platforms, that's really missing. So, you know, we think our impact can be exponential given the fact that this has never been available to Caribbean entrepreneurs. Hmm. Interesting. So a lot of the resources that we do get here in America aren't really available over there? Not at all. I mean, the reality is, especially in this new age that we're living in, wherein there, is, you know, there are a lot of companies that are offering cloud-based software solutions, and they've really become behemoths in the tech space, right? It's like you can't build an organization if you're not leveraging uh, you know, a cloud platform like AWS or Google Cloud or, or Microsoft Azure, etc. So you know, most of the cloud-based platforms have very little to no presence in the Caribbean, which we think is a big miss in fairness on their part. Like while we'd love to have, uh, you know, more action for startups and such like that, the reality is the Caribbean also has relatively large, you know, very profitable, large corporate organizations that have been here for decades and are now looking to innovate. But the fact of the matter is most cloud solutions have no visibility in the region. They don't have any representation. And so nobody hears from them and nobody knows how to engage with them. Uh, so, so we think that's a big missing opportunity that we tend to try to fill. Right. So a lot of what you're going to be doing is just focusing on these other corporations and going to figure out how to go and innovate and bringing in young talent who's willing to go out there and learn how tech works so then they could be the innovators and the creators who are really going out there and moving the needle to help these larger organizations in, your, uh, in the Caribbean. Yes, it really is a, a multi-stakeholder approach in that when you look at any successful ecosystem, the fact is you have startups, you have large corporates, you know, you may consider some of these large corporates the incumbents, but the, the reality just being, in many instances as well, they're the ones who end up facing maybe the inevitable and they have to form partnerships with the startups. Uh, you know, and to an extent for the startups, it's also the inevitable. You look at, let's say, the Slack and Salesforce deal, wherein you, know, you are growing, but there's a barrier in place and you end up having to work with this organization that is bigger in, in many ways than you and has much more in place than you. But... That's the reality of a successful ecosystem. You have talent floating around that people are then able to access. You know, you have governments that think in a certain way as well that, that can help to uh, drive forward the, the ecosystem and such like that. So what we're really trying to do is build an ecosystem almost from the ground up, you know, notwithstanding the work that others have done, notwithstanding the work that the government 
in, in different islands has tried to do over the years. What has really been missing that we think we bring to the table are these global connections and relationships that fast track the ideas because, again, you know, we're engaging people who have done this, who know how it looks, who know what, they, what ultimately you want to build and can serve in that way. Yeah, that sounds like it's actually doable, but it also sounds like there's going to probably need to be a lot of uh, money involved into really building out this situation. Do you feel that there's a lot of financial constraints, or do you feel that um, money is not really going to be too big of an issue in regards to getting things done if you get the right partnerships? Uh, so there's a balance in, that in, in the response to that. The reality is, over time, it will take a lot of capital to do what we're talking about. But, you know, when you're passionate about something, and more importantly for me, a place, you know, you can't wait for the, the ideal scenarios to unfold to try to make things happen, right? Sure. So we are simply getting started and showcasing to people and organizations, look, this is what is possible. Right? This is the value that we're trying to unlock and unfold with the goal of having them then respond to us in the long term saying, okay, we see what you're saying, we're going to do it now. And so it's been, you know, it's, it's been a slow-ish process. I mean, some people would say what we've achieved in, in four years is incredible. Uh, from our end, naturally, when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of feel like things are, are, are to happen overnight, but we are patient people. Uh, but, you know, the landscape has changed significantly in the Caribbean since we got started. So, you know, even though it is still difficult, even though capital doesn't flow as freely in our market as, you know, you would like it to, there is still a lot of hope and promise in what we see every day because, we're seeing the ecosystem, uh, you know, changing. We're seeing people making investments into companies, even though we might want to see tenfold what is invested. We're seeing people decide to start innovative companies and, and uh, leverage certain platforms to build them and such like that. Uh, uh, you know, we, we're seeing wherein our community is partnering where you may have someone stationed in North America building something with someone who's based in Jamaica. We're, we're seeing a lot of that. So it's, it encourages us to, to keep going. But no doubt, this is a big long-term capital play. The other thing I'll point out, though, is, you know, when you talk about tech companies, you typically talk a lot about burn rate and such like that. And the reality of operating in the Caribbean is that it is just significantly less expensive than being in a market like San Francisco or uh, New York or Toronto, right? So yeah, we say that to people as well all the time. You know, what a million dollars can do in, in Jamaica you know, you might burn through that in six months in San Francisco. You know, that's, that's potentially two years funding, depending on what you're building in, in, oh. in an island like Jamaica. So it's actually a lot cheaper than building anything, anywhere else, really. Plus, also, at the same time, it gives long-term benefit to the community. And it's also making a lot of people and the entire community a lot better overall, and the financial constraints aren't really as heavy as they would be anywhere else. No, for sure. So I'll give you a, 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 a real example. There's a gentleman in Silicon Valley who has a company, and you know, as a part of their objectives, one of the things they really needed was almost precisely an MIT PhD, right, in line with a certain subject matter. And yeah. 
in Silicon Valley, it was going to cost them nearly 30K a month to engage the individual with that uh, profile. In the Caribbean, I think it was going to cost them around $7,000 a month to engage someone. And in India, it was even less than, than in the Caribbean. They ended up choosing someone in the Caribbean just because of the distance factor, right, which kind of made up for the, the incremental um, difference in, in, in paying the person. But time zones and everything just, just made it make sense. But just imagine that, right? That's, that's $30,000 that you're paying someone um, every month versus someone being able to do the same thing, having the same background, charging $7,000. And I am all for, you know, people growing to their maximum um, income and such like that. You know, we're not trying to sell, you know, low-cost labor in, in a demeaning manner by any means. But the fact of the matter is what someone then can do with $7,000 a month in Jamaica is vastly different or almost maybe even in line with what someone can do with $30,000 a month in, uh, in, in Silicon Valley, right? There, there might be minor differences in fairness, but it's not so big that it's, uh, you know, unimaginable that these people are living very similar lifestyles. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And and for the uh, end consumer, that's about four times less, a little bit more than four times less than what they're paying out. Plus, they're getting equivalent talent. And that's due to the lower cost exactly. of living. Else. Well, I wanted to thank you so much exactly. for joining us today on the show. Um, it's about time for us to wrap up. Uh, where can people find you again, Kirk Anthony? Well, firstly, I appreciate you having me. This was extremely, uh, you know, fun and, and exciting to do. Uh, everyone can find us at techbeach.net and on social, you just need to search for Tech Beach Retreat and you'll find us across all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And, and myself, you know, given the evolution in the world, myself and my business partner, Kyle Maloney, are both on, uh, on Clubhouse now as ourselves. Right, so at Kirk Anthony, at Kyle Maloney, uh, you can find us there as well. Okay, perfect. And you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. Thank you, everyone, for joining in for another episode of Grow Your Influence Street, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Street with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.